This is Livin' the Breed with Fox News Chief Legal Correspondent, Shannon Breen. I am so excited to welcome to Live in the Bream podcast today, somebody I've known for decades. Uh, it's hard to believe we go that far back. We used to be young. Uh, but joining <laughs> me today is the Vice President of World Help, uh, Noelle, now Yates. It was Brewer when we went to college together at Liberty University. Um, she was amazing back then. She's just exponentially more amazing now. And I wanted to talk about the important work that she's doing and also um, let people here in the States know how they can help to welcome Noelle. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, for having me we did go way back do you remember those days it does seem like yesterday I do remember I could share some stories about oh, you no. if you'd like no They're no please good, don't <laughs> no the story I remember is that one of my boyfriends was in love with you instead of in <laughs> love with me <laughs> I don't we, remember that one we both ended up with the right husbands though. we both right. have amazing husbands now um, and it wasn't that boyfriend uh, so no listen you were in college already doing things that had a global outreach missions related trips and all kinds of things like that but listen what World Help does is amazing and I want you to just tell people a little bit about what you do what you've seen uh, and and how you got involved in this work yeah I um you know I grew up with a dad that was involved in this work so for me it started when I was about 11 but when I was in college world help began and my dad started world help and so I I just sort of kept growing into it and started working in college and and still working there today but world help is a global Christian humanitarian organization we work all around the world and um, we work to provide help and hope uh, meeting physical needs and spiritual spiritual needs to impoverished places around the world and and what we mean by that is we think you know that without medicine and food and clean water that the body really needs well then faith means very little but without faith that really feeds the soul everything else can just be a short-term fix but when you focus on both body and soul that's when we believe that true transformation begins and that's the approach we're using all around the world yeah and you've been into some really critical places that um, listen when we have anything to complain about in our first world very easy lives here in the US and we do have real struggles all of us whether it's financial or physical or those kinds of things when you see the conditions though of the places that you've walked into it is such a shocking wake-up call um, I we were chatting about the fact that I was re-watching a video that you have about um, baby rescues and you were in Guatemala and just the conditions that we saw there and the people who are good wonderful kind generous people but have no resources and have to watch their children die I mean you all step in in situations like that to say let us offer you some any you know food or clean drinking water anything that we take for granted here but in those people's lives it truly is a life-or-death situation yeah, Baby Rescue is an initiative I've been involved in for the past few years, and it means so much to me, and it's really opened my eyes. I mean, I, I think our lives here, it's almost in a bubble in, in so many ways, and we think we understand poverty, but I question whether we really understand extreme poverty. And that's what these people are really living with, and it's, it's children. We work in Guatemala, Haiti, and Uganda with this particular initiative, and they're literally on the brink of death simply because they don't have clean water malnutrition is is a big part of it in many cases but uh, what is just as important is the lack of clean water and so that combination is making these kids sick and we literally go to where they are we're able to rescue them and bring them to a clinic or a hospital where they're nursed back to health and and see this transformation in their lives and and really it impacts their entire families to see these children come back to life yeah do you think the average american understands just how dire 
dire the situations are around the world and the places that you mentioned? I don't. And I think, you know, it's a hard balance because I was speaking about this recently uh, to a group of women and how, um, you know, we hear so much on on our news and we're fed some here about our rights and especially women's rights lately and the, the protests and the masses of people coming together. And, you know, I, I want every woman to have the rights they deserve. I want young girls to be able to dream that they can become everything they want to be. So it's not that I'm behind that, not behind that, or, or don't believe in it, but it's really hard when you've been involved in the work that I've been involved in to simply look at it from our perspective. And you know, the example I gave the, this group of women I was speaking to is that when you take the global population, and let's just say women, for instance, the global population of women, and compare that to the population of American women, I think the number comes down to we represent less than 5% of the global population of women. So it's not that one is more important than the other, it's just that when we look at the needs of the world we should be looking at the whole room and not the front just the front row so to speak or that less than five percent that we represent mm -hmm. and so much of what I've seen of your work does focus on women young women girls who are in horrible dire situations that are unpleasant to talk about it's unpleasant to confront but you do such a good job on social media of taking people to these places and saying listen we cannot look away from these things um, tell us about some of your travels uh, I'm thinking about Thailand and some other places where um, you confront these ugly things head on. Yeah. You know, like I said, I've been doing this work for a long time, and I, I think I tried to convince myself that I had seen it all. And um, so as I prepared to go to Thailand, you know, I was being educated on um, the issues there. And I, and again, I, I thought I was prepared, but there was really no substitute uh, for seeing it myself. And, and to be honest, I was shocked at what I saw. Uh, when I came home from this trip, I, I really felt like I was a little messed up inside I, ha I had so much to process but I wasn't prepared um, for what the women go through there you know I'd heard about the sex industry in Thailand but when I went there it was completely overwhelming I, I think I thought I would go and there would be some shame involved to it I think I thought I would see other American men and they would recognize me as an American woman and there'd be some shame in what they were doing and I, I did not find that to be true and I went to a place called Patia in Thailand which is really the birthplace of the sex industry because you trace it back to the Vietnam War and this was a beautiful quiet fishing village at the time and so soldiers would come on their R&R &R to Patia and you fast forward over 40 years and now you have a booming industry which no one has an exact number but you could easily estimate that millions upwards of nine ten million men perhaps are coming to Thailand every year just for sex and you walk down the streets and um, like I said there's no shame there's music blaring it, it, it almost feels like you're on uh, vacation at the beach somewhere um, except everywhere you look around you are women and young girls being sold and it was degrading it was disgusting and it was infuriating and on that first trip I was determined that we could do something to help these po poor girls trapped in this situation.
Well, let me ask you what the causes are. I mean, obviously there's sort of a supply and demand issue and you talk about, I mean, there's really, you know, sex tourism essentially in some of these areas where people do come, as you said, by the millions from around the world. I mean, it's not just an inter-country problem. I mean, uh, how do we stem the tide? Uh, is there a way to turn this around? I mean, uh, do these young women have any other options? Uh, does this feel sort of like, um, you know, just a destiny for them that they really don't have a choice to escape? I think at face value, it can feel that way. And I think that's why some, most people probably get overwhelmed and move on to the next thing. But if you understand where it's coming from culturally, and, and I wouldn't say it's just Thailand, it's probably more of an Asian culture. Um, the, the girls, the daughters are responsible to provide financially for their families. I think that's very hard for us as American women to fully understand, but that's their culture. So what you have is these young girls from very rural areas coming to the big city uh, hoping to find work so that they can provide for their families they get to the big city they realize they have no education they have no skills no resources and the bars are the only place that offer them a quote-unquote safe place to stay so they they go to the bars maybe they start off as a cashier one thing leads to another and before they know it they're trapped in the sex industry and they are making money and they're able to send it home but they're trapped in this industry that they would have never chose to be in otherwise so that sort of is how they end up what we've found though is if you can introduce them to another choice if you can introduce them to a, a way to, to get that education and provide for their families in another way these girls want out and that's the work we're doing in real time on the ground right there in the bars uh, making relationships with these women one at a time how scary is it for them? I mean, I would imagine, as you said, they do want out. I mean, they want a chance to do anything probably but this. Um, but, but when you approach them or try to talk to them or build a relationship with them, I mean, how many of them are in situations where, you know, they may be in, in some kind of danger if they try to walk away um, from what they're doing? That's a, that's a great question. And I don't want to... Um, Every girl's situation is different. My experience was, especially when you're talking about the Thai girls. Now, when you when you walk down the streets of Thailand, you're going to see girls from Africa and you're going to see girls from Russia. And, and you can assume that those girls were trafficked in, in the way that we understand that term. But what I've learned through this process is trafficking is a huge sort of umbrella term. And there's so many uh, different variables that go into play. So for the Thai girls in particular, most of them have made a choice to do this if you can call it a choice they're making a choice because they simply have no other choice you could argue they're sacrificing themselves in so many ways for their family but because it is their choice um, it in most cases it's not like they have a pimp or how we would understand that that's forcing them to be there what's forcing them to be there is that they don't know they have another choice and they have this financial pressure on them so from that angle it, it's not scary in the way most people I talk to about it they seem to immediately rate, relate to the movie Taken and um, and so there's this sort of fear around this and I really didn't experience that um, it was 
it's more of just introducing these women to another way of life. Yeah, is it about providing them a skill or some education, something that mm -hmm. gives them another option? Right, so what we start off with our partners is they'll go in and, and uh, build relationships with these girls. It's a slow process, I, I've done it with them. And you go into the bars and the only way you can talk to the girls is if you buy them some sort of drink. That's the only way the bar will let you stay. So you, and you can imagine these girls are very skeptical at first when you come in and so you slow talk to them and, and they, they quickly warm up to you once they, they realize that you're just there to befriend them. And what they do is they introduce them uh, for a chance to come study English uh, at the safe house. And they'll, they'll make an appointment or to come back to the girls to, to take them to visit the safe house. And once the girls see the safe house and see how they can learn English and meet the other girls there, then it kind of begins this journey where they can sort of see the light and the, the chance they have to escape. Can you tell me anything about maybe one of the young women uh, that you met along the way uh, and just kind of how that relationship proceeded or, or how it works as you try to find out about their lives, their stories, yeah. and what it would take to try to motivate them to take that step? Yeah, I'll tell you a couple stories. One, just quickly, this is just an example of one of the girls I met on my last trip and, and sort of how it hit me, but it was in one of the bars and we were talking to her and I was surprised right away as we were talking to her to find out that she was almost the same age as me. And we had a son exactly the same age. And just for that split second, I thought, wow, you know, we have so much in common. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks that our lives you know, could not be further apart because we both love our sons. We both want the best for our sons. We both want to give our sons opportunities. But I have lots of options on how to do that. I have resources and family and, and help with that. And she has little to no options at all. And if she leaves this work without any other uh, jobs or, me, or a mean, a means of uh, making an income, she has no way to provide for her son. So that was sort of a, a, a reality check for me of, of what it's like for these women, especially the women that have children. But the other story I'll share with you is about a girl named Nan. And when Nan was 11 years old, she was taken from her rural village and she was sold to a family in the big city to take care of their elderly parents. But as you can imagine, at the young age of 11, she was quite small and she literally you know, couldn't physically lift this couple in and out of bed. So frustrated that they, she couldn't do the job that they had purchased her for, they then sold her to a bar. And at that young age, she found herself in the middle of an unspeakable situation in the middle of the sex industry. But what I love about Nan's story is, you know, f for so many girls, that's where their story ends. But for Nan, that was just the beginning because Nan is one of the girls that was able to come to our safe home there, a home that is right on the doorstep of the red light district in Bangkok. And there with other girls, she was able to learn that the value that her life has. She was able to receive an education. Uh, she learned about a, a God who loves her unconditionally just the way she is. And now the beautiful ending to Nan's story is that she's studying to become an engineer. And to me, that just shows full circle the light that we can breathe into these girls' life simply by offering them a second chance. I got to tell you, in following um, your social media, I think specifically Instagram, because you have such uh, visceral images that you post sometimes. I mean, 
it, I can't imagine what it's like to be there and be in the middle of these places because just looking at your pictures, it almost feels like a gut punch. I, like I can't imagine yeah. what the experience is like to walk into this. Um, and you talked about uh, earlier how difficult it is and sort of the impact that it has on you. I mean, you can walk away from it and come home, but you're never um, able probably to let go of those images knowing there's still so many people that need to be helped. Yeah, I think, you know, the story I share that that impacted me the most um, was on my first trip when I went actually went into a bar. And what I learned is that even the bars have different levels there. And I was about to go into the worst. And, you know, when I when I tell people about it, I say, you know, it wasn't what shocked me the most is not what you think. It wasn't, um, you know seeing the girls and how they were dancing it was the interaction between the girls and the customers and what really got me was that the girls were numbered they had mm. little pieces of paper sort of pinned to whatever you know threads of clothing they were wearing and it was like they were marked and tagged like cattle and the men just simply called out whatever number they wanted as if they were being sold to the highest bidder and I just that just got me I mean I just um, it was so degrading uh, to see that and I remember just trying to hold it together into that bar in that bar because I knew I couldn't make a scene or we would be asked to leave and it was all I could do to, to make it out to our van waiting close by and when I got to the van I just lost it I mean I was sobbing ugly ugly cry and I, I felt like that character in the movie the green mile that that breathed in everybody's pain and hurt and suffering it was like I had breathed in too much evil and I just had to get it out but I'll never forget this as I was trying to regain my composure our Thai partner was sitting there with me and she does this work day in and day out she has seen it all and when I finally could get my words back I said how do you do this how do you go in there every day and she just quietly and calmly looked back at me and she said if we don't go in there who will if we don't go in there who will and that has just really stuck with me, especially um, for people of faith, especially like someone like me who, who, who claims uh, to be a Christian. I, I know I'm responsible, as difficult as it is, to invade that darkness with light. And that's such a, a beautiful picture of redemption that we as Christians believe that we have and trying to share that with people who are in, as you said, such horrible situations, regardless of the circumstance, that you treat them body and soul. Um, and without that kind of lifeline to some hope, um, you know, it's tough to reach them on the spiritual level as well so that you can speak to them about all the, the things that you hope will bring hope in their lives. Um, and I want to make sure that people listen to the podcast know that there are ways that they can help. There are good, happy endings, some of the stories you've told us. Um, and that there are ways that people can get involved. I'm intrigued by something you have coming up on May 19th. It's Freedom Friday. It's a one-night event. It doesn't matter where you are anywhere within the sound of this podcast. You can get involved. How does it work? Yes, it's called Freedom Friday. It's May 19th, and we're calling it Take a One-Night Stand for Freedom. And I love that because I sort of feel like we're redeeming that phrase of the one-night stand and putting it to good use. And what people can do, it's super easy. You go to freedomfriday.com, and there you can take a pledge to give up what you would have spent on entertainment that night on May 19th and use that to provide freedom for one girl. And so you can take the pledge. Uh, you can learn more 
more about our initiative in Thailand. We also have another program in India um, where we're doing similar work, freeing girls from the sex industry there. And you can use those funds to help set a girl free. And so we're just trying to get the word out. I feel like this issue is uh, so overwhelming to a lot of people, but this is a practical way that any of us can get involved and and make a real difference in this fight. Yeah, I mean, if you would go to McDonald's or go to the movies or get pizza or go to a sporting event or a concert, um, whatever you can do, I mean, every little bit will help uh, towards this effort. FreedomFriday.com. Uh, please check it out and consider um, just something that's so small, maybe for us, or maybe it is a sacrifice for those people who would step up and give this, um, but truly can rescue somebody from the most dire situations. I know that um, you talked about India and the fact that there's um, one area that you are trying to reach where the oldest girl in every family is just obligated at the age of 12 to begin her career in the sex industry and then supports the whole family. Um, it does seem so shocking to us, but these are the real things that you've encountered around the world. Um, Noel, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Um, you truly are doing God's work, and you're you're rescuing people in so many different ways. Um, and I'm just glad that you could share a little bit of that with us. And hopefully, uh, everyone listening to this podcast will take a chance uh, to get involved in the small or great ways that they can as well. Thank you, thank Noel. You. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you for shining a light on this. We'll keep us updated. This has been Living the Bream on Fox News Radio.